Lincoln Cushing is an artist, author, and archivist from the Bay Area. His work as an archivist has focused on the Chinese Cultural Revolution, the American Labor Movement, and the Cuban Revolution, including the entire collection of posters created by the Organization of Solidarity of the People of Asia, Africa, and Latin America, or OSPAL. My current work is I'm an archivist and documentarian mostly focusing on social justice uh, artwork and history. Lincoln was interviewed by Lonnie Hanna of Interference Archive. I have some insight into what you've done in the past as well, which is you've built a career as a, a designer artist, a printer, an archivist, and an activist. Do you feel that some of these roles have been more important or fulfilling than others, or are they all like intrinsically connected? As I've gotten older, I've realized the importance of documentation that when I was younger I was so focused on just making stuff and I was I was in the moment and that was great but as I've gotten older and I start to observe that there's a real need to keep this this material is generated because it turns out that it becomes a really useful source of inspiration for additional work for me the breakthrough moment was when I went on a trip to Cuba and I visited OSPAL, which was sort of the major international political publishing operation. And you know, I was talking to the people that were making the posters, and they were all excited. And I said, well, how many posters have you done? And they didn't know. They didn't know enough about their own history to be able to tell me, oh, yeah, we did 270 titles or whatever over X number of years. And so I thought, well, that's, that's not right. And so... I decided to start documenting all of their posters. And it required looking all over the place. I mean, no one place has their own material. So Ospal had some, but I had to come to the United States to find material from other collections. And after about two years, I compiled a complete catalog of all of Ospal's posters. But it took a lot of work, and I realized how valuable that process was. And so at that point, I became committed to doing much more sort of documentation and archival work and shifting my, my responsibilities from making art to cataloging and, and sort of interpreting it. Lincoln worked with Interference Archive on a recent exhibition on OSPAL, Armed by Design. I was the source for the digital images that were used for you know, the catalog. I have all this stuff. I define my political work these days as shooting posters and then using those digital objects in a variety of forms to sort of to encourage additional scholarship, research, exhibitions. What is your vision for a politicized movement archive? One thing I think it's important to understand about archives is that archives run in a sort of spectrum from extremely open and community-based and accessible to very institutional and sort of much more structurally conservative. Now, you can have a very radical collection in a very structurally conservative setting, and 
it has its advantages. It has access to resources. It means that you know, that collection is probably going to be around in 50 years. Um, and that's important. On the other hand, some of these places are much less accessible. They tend to not prioritize the political collections as much as other collections. And so it's not uncommon for a wonderful pile of political posters to go to a nice institution and then sit there for a decade or two before they're processed because they simply don't get the attention. And this is something that people don't understand about special collections and archives is that there's a lot of work that goes into making them useful that is tedious and expensive and hard to do. It requires skills and it often just doesn't get done because the resources are not allocated. So even if there's goodwill, a collection will just sit in drawers until something else happens. So you know, one thing that I encourage people now when they say, gee, I want to give my collection of X to a major institution is I say, well, you also need to, to draw up the money to pay for the processing. Because if you want to wait for them to do it, you don't have any control over that. And again, if, if they really want to, they've got other priorities. So the, the best examples are something where you know, a collection will go somewhere to an institution and then it comes with sort of resources and support to convert it from just being a pile of documents into something that's cataloged and digitized and accessible. And so the other end of that spectrum, which is a very community-based archive like Interference, you know, it has a lot of real pluses. People can come, they can literally touch the documents, they can experience sort of these objects as they were, you know, created. On the other hand, you know, things get damaged that way. Very often there aren't the resources for cataloging something. So if somebody says, I want to see all the posters you have on women, it's up to somebody remembering, well, there's some in this drawer and there's some in that drawer. You know, a really thoroughly cataloged collection means that you can really pull up everything that meets a certain search criterion. And usually a smaller institution or collection just doesn't have the time or the energy, the resources to do that. Do you think that um, the traditional or academic institutions that you're speaking of that are m important in the long run because they protect documents and because they have m maybe more resources funneled into that, do you think that they need to be more accessible? These are really, really important institutions. And so what you, to, what you need to do with collections like that is encourage them to find resources to process the more political and radical components of their collection um, and support them by sort of making sure that materials do go to these institutions. They, they are worthy of all sorts of movement history. Just because it's connected to a major institution doesn't mean that it's, it's not um, worth encouraging. But like I said, you know, they, they, even with the best of intentions, will often just not process an important collection because it's just not on their radar. As an archivist, you've been involved in big projects related to both the Cuban Revolution and the Chinese Cultural Revolution, just as two examples. The politics of these two movements are 
very, very different and relatively even opposed to each other. Does uh, the activist archivist have a political position? I personally feel that all culture is worthy of documentation and preservation. I mean, I think that racist American culture is important to document and understand because, you know, it's one thing to sort of build a movement based on hearsay and sort of what you think you know, but if you're really going to try to understand something, you need to look at the evidence. And like I said, with the example of Ospal, you know, nobody really ever put together a complete set of all the Ospal posters. And until you do that, you can't say what proportion of their output is about the Middle East or what proportion of their designers were women. Mm-hmm. You know, until you have the evidence, it's really hard to draw real conclusions. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to treat all cultures, you know, oppositional, reactionary, um, to really understand them. I think it'd be fantastic to have a, a, an archive of KKK materials. You know, this is important for us to really understand. But I think that materials from the Chinese Cultural Revolution, materials from the Cuban Revolution, American Labor Movement, I mean, all of these things are worthy. What you just said made me think of this project that I I love, um, which is based out of Zuni, the head of their cultural center is a man named Jim Eno. And he has been working on this digital repatriation project where he wants to repatriate everything that has been produced about or on or from Zuni, mm-hmm. um, even things that you know have been on, on different spheres academically or in, in every sphere culturally contested as you know racist or um, you know creating stereotypes that have really hindered the community. He wants to repatriate all that material, but there's just no resources to house as much as been taken from Zuni over the years, and so he started this digital repatriation project. been working on Cuba and when we just did this exhibition um, that you helped with not only the um, the imagery but the writing so where do you see your your own personal research going next you know one thing I'm exploring and again this is this is made more possible by the new media but um, it used to be that an institution would not create a catalog record for an object until they were, you know, they were ready to do it, and they made what they considered a final catalog record. You know, what size it is, what medium it is, the artist, um, and all that. And nowadays, there's a trend which I think is is healthy, which is to put up partial records. So I, I worked with a giant collection of material at the Oakland Museum of California, and they had a crew of people who were not subject experts, but who could look at a poster and type out the words and they could measure it. And they created a, a, an initial record of that poster. And then I would come through later and clarify and correct and amplify that record. So it was sort of a two-stage process and it was predicated on the fact that all these posters I'd already shot as high-resolution files. So you can go online, look at the image, see at least a partial record, and in many cases you can see a more complete record, 
And the advantage of that is that somebody can go online and go, oh, I know who did that. It says artist unknown, but I happen to know that my aunt made that poster. And so we're beginning to see because of social media and exposure on the web, we're, we're sort of relying on the, the community to help with the cataloging process and to add the documentation that's necessary to really understand sort of what a poster is all about. Because, you know, just a, a cool image is just a cool image. I really want to know what year it was done. I want to know who made it. I want to know where it was made. Um, those all add dimensions of fact and analysis to an object that make it so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. So the, the, one of the cool things that's happening that I'm really engaged in is putting up posters and saying, can somebody tell me the story? Does anybody know where this came from? It's a mystery poster. And that would have been really hard to do 15 years ago. Nowadays, it's much more possible. So that's, that's a very exciting process because ultimately, you know, the reason I like doing archival work, it's not about the things, it's about the people. Mm -hmm. Who made it, who saw it, who was influenced by it. And those are really the stories that, that are what history is made about. The object just happens to be a vessel. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me end with this thing that I've been working on, which I think helps to understand sort of how archives fit into this whole process, which I call sort of the life cycle of a cultural object. So let's, let's say you're having a demonstration and you want a poster for it. So you commission an artist and you say, oh, can you make us some posters? So Melanie makes a really cool poster for this demonstration, you know, about gentrification in Oakland. So a poster is made and the poster goes up, you know, on the streets. So that's, that's its first step. And then after the event's over, somebody says, wow, that's a cool poster. They take it down off a telephone pole and they roll it up and they take it home because they happen to like posters about gentrification. And they, are, they happen to be a collector of some form. And after a few years, they've got a nice pile of these posters. And they say, you know, I need to do something with these. So they say, you know, I hear that, you know, Lincoln Cushing's got a whole collection of posters and I need to get rid of these. I want to move them to somewhere where they'll be better taken care of and something will happen to them. So they move from a collector to somebody that's more of an archivist and a special librarian. So it moves into another stage where it gets a little bit more taken care of. It gets catalog information added to it. Ideally, it gets digitized. And so it's, it starts to accumulate in a pile that is all of like, like objects. And at some point, when that object is really digitized and cataloged and it's put online or it's used in an exhibition, another artist will see that and they go, wow, great poster. I was looking for an image about gentrification or I was looking for a poster about how do you represent capitalism? And here's some examples. I was looking through your online catalog or I saw an exhibition that you did and they get inspired and then they do another poster and then that starts the cycle again. So, you know, objects never just die. You know, ideally in a perfect world, objects simply are a vessel for ideas and archives are part of that life cycle that preserves them and ideally transforms them into a format that can be made accessible 
to additional research and scholarship, and then that cycle will continue. A selection of Ospal posters can be seen in Lincoln's book, Revolucion, Cuban Poster Art. You can also visit his website, docspopuli.org, for more information.